Welcome to Global Supply Chain Week. Today, we are kicking off our retail day with Julian Van Ehrlich, the Senior Vice President of Supply Chain at FabFitFun. Welcome to Global Supply Chain Week, Julian. Great to be with you, Mary. I am very excited to jump into this. Um, normally, it's a, it's a nice break from the 3PL and cold chain content that I usually get to do. Um, retail was my first foray into logistics, so I'm really excited to get back to that. Um, but before we get too far into it, let's get some background on you. Kind of how did FabFitFun start and where did you start with the company? FabFitFun has been around for about 15, 16 years, started as a newsletter. And our three founders eventually got into selling actual product that they felt would be very relevant to our female demographic. From there, the company exploded. And I was very fortunate to join about three and a half years ago, just when we implemented our first WMS, when we got away from pen, paper, and spreadsheets. So it was a very exciting, explosive time when the company more than almost tripled, more than doubled in volume while I started and then since my tenure here. I love that. That's, um, I mean, I've only, I've always seen that you, if you've spent more than five minutes on the internet as a female, you've gotten a FabFitFun ad sent to you. So it's, uh, I did not even realize it had been around, it had been around for 15 years. Um, that is kind of shocking because it just still feels like such a new company to me. So, um, you know, well done guys, you guys keep it fresh. It was well done. And the reason I joined is because my wife saw it advertised on the Housewives of Long Island and I kept poo-pooing this thing for months and months until she convinced me, look at this box, look at this company, you've got to talk to them. After that, it was I, I love that. That is fantastic. You know, um, you know, wives know best. It's fine. <laughs> um, so uh, moving, since you guys did send that you meant since you guys said that you had started, um, you know, start implementing your own WMS, we've seen a lot of companies kind of take um, take control of their own fulfillment and their own warehousing solutions. That's something they would typically have re they have outsourced to a three PL or something like that. Um, what do you think is the main factor driving these companies to kind of handle their own logistics and their own fulfillment services? I wish I could say there's one or two main factors, Mary, but it's a very complex question which has to balance a company's view of the risks of investing capital in their own warehousing operation to make it efficient, where you have to guess your growth, your growth rate, where you're going to be years from now, what kind of product form factor you have, special requirements like lot tracking or climate control or food grade, the kind of automation you need to be efficient. And you've got to weigh those risks and your ability to forecast that against what a 3PL can offer, which could be multiple locations to start, less initial capital investment. However, they're going to want a profit margin. They're going to amortize any capex they make on your behalf. So you have to look at does closeness to customer matter to me based on my product type. In our case, not so much because we're a subscription box, which is somewhat unique. So we don't have to ship and deliver within two or three days, like some companies do. So it's really a balancing act that looks at these things, plus inbound logistics, outbound logistics, which ports do I have to spin up a planning allocation team if I'm handling multiple warehouses. So there are many questions that come together. But what I will say is that in the last several years, the occupancy rates have really skyrocketed, vacancy rates have plummeted, costs of warehousing have skyrocketed per square foot. And many companies that got in in the last several years are in at a peak market. So they're paying top dollar for warehousing costs and also for labor costs. So 
still now, what I'm seeing is a trend, like you say, that companies are actually thinking about the cost structure and is it going to be more efficient if we do something ourselves? And what FabFit Fund is doing is we are becoming a 3PL. So we are actually, in addition to managing our own volume, we are bringing in clients and we have some very well-known clients, if I mentioned their name, you would know who they are, that are actually joining us in our facility because we have tremendous capacity as well as excellent logistic rates across the country. That kind of makes almost perfect sense because like I think I read the other day that the occupancy rates in warehouses had moved to 4% compared to the 2% that they were for the last two years. And that's just like a nationwide average. Obviously, some markets have almost no occupancy and others have some more. Um, but that brings up a great point because if I'm if I'm looking to maybe go start warehousing somewhere and I'm looking at some of those partners that I can work with, at what point you kind of have to weigh that cost of, well, is it just cheaper for me to build my own warehouse and then have someone come in and use up the, the space that I'm not using so I can collect I can collect a revenue stream off that? Or is it more beneficial for me to pay a lot to not have to deal with any of it? But on the offside, you know, you might be locked into like a, 10, a five, 10 year deal. And as your business grows and evolves and changes, you might not have those, um, you might not have the same needs in that same market. That might not be a popular market for you anymore. So you might just be left with a warehouse that's not in the best location for you five years to 10 years later. So I think that I would expect to see more and more of that kind of as a lot of e-commerce takes off and, you know, really gets going like it has been over the last few years. If you're a company that has a very good idea of your volume growth trends, what your product form factor looks like, where the product is coming from, and that you have enough volume and enough growth to support it, then you're probably going to lean into starting your own warehousing operation, whether it's one or more locations. But if there's uncertainty about your forecast on volume, the absolute volume you need to justify the space, the growth rate, the form factor, where you're going to be several years from now, then you may choose third-party fulfillment services to bridge you over that period of uncertainty because there's a lot of capital involved. There's a lot of software and planning involved in managing multiple warehouses, inbound inventory, outbound inventory, dray from whichever port you're using to your warehouses, all these considerations come in. And right now, actually volume is dropping. So our carriers are telling us that their volumes are significantly falling. And our area here, which is called the Inland Empire, the area around Los Angeles and east, south, and, um, and north of it, the vacancy rates are now rising. They dipped at 0.4%, some of the lowest in the country. And now they're going up to 1.1, 1.2%. And what's interesting is that the inflection point for cost per square foot of getting a warehouse was about 2.1, 2.2%. So when the vacancy rates dipped below that, prices skyrocketed to get into warehousing. My thinking is if they go back up into that range from 1.2 where they are right now, which is actually four times higher vacancy than it was a couple quarters ago, if they go back up again, rates are going to come down for warehousing. Plus, there's a tremendous amount of warehousing being built in the area. So it's an interesting dynamic for people to watch as to whether they want to wait a while before they commit to a space. I think that is because, I mean, everyone had a knee-jerk reaction to build more warehouses and get more space for everything when we saw 100-plus ships waiting off the coast of L.A. and Long Beach. So everyone's very reactionary with good reason, their reactionary measures was, oh, let's just build more warehouses and let's build more space to put things because we have nowhere to put things. But now that we don't have a hundred ships sitting off the coast of LA and Long Beach, you're kind of like, well, we have all this warehouse space that we built. 
it's kind of too almost it's like almost a year too late but it's done or it's almost done so i would be very interested to see kind of how those costs and those occupancy rates go as we move into the rest of 2023 and we kind of continue the market correction course that we're on i'm i'm very excited about that i didn't even think about that earlier today you need binoculars to find a ship off the port of la <laughs> it's a very you, different environment I would say either binoculars, one of those like really long telescopes that they have yes. in movies. <laughs> I read telescopes. Yes. A little bit of horror on the logistics side, Mary. So interesting point was back when COVID was starting to be a thing in late 20, when we looked at the logistics network out there and we were pretty much a one carrier company with a great rate. That's when we diversified our logistics. So we went direct with every major last mile carrier in the country. We balanced our national carriers so that we had multiple national carriers, every every major last mile carrier. And that was a good decision that we made because we could get all of our shipments out on time and we had lower rates. We also looked at all of our product uh, form factors and looked at anywhere that we were shipping air and optimized our carton sizes. We also optimized the dimensions of our cartons for each carrier's network. So for example, DHL has certain uh, height restrictions. And if we want to do business with them, we want to be cognizant of the automation and what the requirements are for height. Same is true for Pitney. So we looked at the requirements, the sweet spots of the carriers that are out there and actually designed our packaging around some of those to be able to do business with them, as well as eliminated error anywhere that we had error in our shipments and actually saw very strong rate competition among the carriers. That is insanely intelligent. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people, especially as like, you know, e-commerce providers or e-commerce, e-commerce retailers uh, move forward is because, you know, every time that you have a package that's outside of the automation, that means someone has to physically touch that package and move it, which means that your rates are going to go up. And if that's just something is lowering your box, like half an inch, that's over the long haul, that's not really a big change to anybody. That's not going to affect that much, but it's going to save you so much on the shipping and the logistics side of it. And that is, that is honestly a genius move in my opinion, because it just, it autom- it helps so much further down the line. It does. And building the rate shopping automation that allows each package you ship to be seen by multiple carriers at once through APIs and having them bid for that package but also transparently knowing on what basis they're bidding. So they could look at dimensional divisors that they have, and we could tell them that if they made these changes to certain dimensional divisors or to package sizes or rates, then this is what happens to their volume with us. So we have a very open relationship with our carriers that they know exactly how we rate shop, and we negotiate on fine points, such as if they are willing to give us a higher dimensional divisor, they will get X amount more business. And if they want to do that, they can go ahead and do it. We've also been talking about a concept where where a carrier has multiple warehouses around the country, like FedEx does and LaserShip and so on. Instead of giving us one rate, if they want to drive more business to any particular part of the country that may need business, so let's say they're slow in the Chicago area, then drop your rates. In other words, manage rates dynamically by part of the country based upon the capacity forecast that you have for your business. So somewhere in the future, I think there's an opportunity to create more of a dynamic structure for freight rates for carriers to be able to drive business to where they really want the business instead of one rate across the country. 
I mean, we've kind of already seen that with the rise, specifically in LTL of there of a lot of the dynamic freight, uh, dynamic freight pricing, where you know where they have some of those areas that have high demand and they'll lower their rates to get to get trucks where they need them to be, and then in areas they really don't want to go, they'll raise their rates significantly. So I think that as that kind of grabs hold and really starts getting uh, cemented in you know shippers across the country. I think we'll start to see that kind of trickle down into full truckload. And um, I mean, it already kind of exists for the most part in small parcel and small package. Um, but I definitely think that the future is dynamic rates and that's kind of where it's going. There's there's no way to not have that, you know? Yes. And we try to do as much floor loaded, full truckload shipments as we can. Fortunately, we have the volume that we can ship many, many trucks, floor loaded um, and full truckloads every day from our facility. And that's part of what we offer clients is they can piggyback on our rates, which I have not seen better rates anywhere. And we can piggyback on those for our clients. I like that. Just a nice humble brag of we do have the best rates. It's fine. You don't need to look any further. It's just, <laughs> it's right here. I wish I could find lower rates. <laughs> I feel like if anyone's going to, you might be the one to do it. <laughs> So as we kind of talk, touch on, you know, cutting costs and, um, you know, limiting freight spend, what are the biggest areas that, you know, shippers and either or 3 pls or just major retailers need to focus on? Um, that's going to be the easiest places to negotiate and cut costs. And then on the flip side, where are those areas that they need to, you know, not touch, cut costs where that's where, you know, you get what you pay for and you need to pay, you need to spend up for that. So what are those kind of cut and not cut areas? On the logistics side, if we start all the way upstream with your product suppliers, we're looking for packaging design inefficiencies. So I've seen product where there is a cup that has a plastic straw that's sticking out of the cup and they built a package around the plastic straw that's sticking out. So, or, or let's say tea bags with tons of empty space in the box. So we're looking for a, are there ways to make the packaging of the product more efficient and more standardized? So that's way upstream. As you get into the actual operations, we're looking for any error that we are currently shipping. So how can we downsize our form factor of the parcels that we're shipping? At the same time, being aware of what our carriers want in terms of what their systems can handle, just understanding what each carrier's requirements are, if any, for the handling of product. So we have that combined dynamic going, then you want to be multi-carrier so that each part of the country has at least several carriers that are going to be competing for your business, that they do it through an API so that you can shop your order across multiple carriers based on where it's going, the dimensions, the weight of the product, and so forth, and being able to respond in fractions of a second real time, and being able to ship as much as possible in floor-loaded full truckloads to take the line haul cost per package down. Where if you're a small shipper, then companies like LaserShip offer a great service, which is that they will give you a line haul service that will pick up your less than truckload and combine it with other clients in the region and ship it to a regional warehouse in other parts of the country. So you wanna find a way to work on consolidating your LTL with others in your area. Sometimes last small carriers already offer that like LaserShip does, so that you can take advantage of closer to full truck rates. So I would say it is a combination of all of those things that you wanna be looking for. And then more strategically, it's always gonna be a question of how do I ship more gross profit dollars per package? And that's a discussion with merchandising. 
But there's also the element of planning with the merchant team what the future form factors are going to look like a year from now so that you can design your warehousing operation logistics around it. And not all merchandising organizations have an idea of are they going to buy bigger and heavier in the near future or are they going to buy in similar patterns? So that's a whole other dynamic that supply chains should have, which is to be talking with their merchandising leaders to understand where they're headed so you can design logistics and supply chain around that. That is, I think, I feel like that's such an under, you know, like an underrepresented or like an underutilized option is that, you know, working with other teams and working with other parts of the organization to really design the best logistics solution. Because you even, uh, even back when I was in a 3PL, we would sit there and our customer would continually get dinged left and right for you know, just having overweight, oversized things. And turns out their pallets were just full of air because they just didn't like, you know, they just didn't have the proper packaging. So we're like, hey, maybe they may improve this packaging. It's a straight cube now. You don't have anything that can't be stacked. You don't have anything that is going to get you an extra accessorial charge added to it. So now you can just stack them up and put them on your truck and there you go. And I think that that's some of the things that everyone kind of forgets is that, you know, you see, you see a product and you're like, oh, well, it'll get there. It's fine. But how much empty space on that truck that you have is, is just kind of, in my opinion, wasted money. If you have it, uh, empty space on a pallet is just money that you're just kind of like handing someone being like, yeah, we don't really care about this money. It's fine. Yes, Mary. Hence the importance of cubing software that has nesting capabilities and so forth that uh, can really save you that kind of money. And turning to fulfillment costs, a lot of our savings, and I think a lot of any operations savings are going to come from understanding the high cost steps. So what are the steps in your fulfillment process that cost the most, either per function or in total, and understanding why that happens. And in many cases, it's because there is either uh, too much work, hence overtime is happening, or there is wait time, meaning work is not getting to a area in time fluidly. So it's back to create flow, eliminate waste, but literally building the warehouse management system visibility to every single step, especially the high cost steps, and being able to create flow so that you're eliminating overtime and you're constantly feeding productive work. And then looking at the steps themselves, where there might be some things that don't have to happen the way that they do. Why are the steps taking place? And we've been able to really consolidate some of our functions where steps were unnecessary that we were taking and also building visibility so that we have a very constant, smooth flow across all of the assets and all the steps that we take. So that's enabled us to take our cost per order down by two thirds in the face of a 36% labor cost increase all through improvements like that. Not huge CapEx, some CapEx, but a lot of it is about visibility, flow, training, empowering the leadership in our warehouse that manages those functions to give them the tools to be able to see upstream, downstream, and building a very collaborative um, team where the success is measured by our collective success, not just a particular function success. That is kind of almost like, first of all, the fact that you were still able to save versus such a, a such an aggressive labor cost increase, bravo, well done. Um, but that is, you guys are literally running on the, the most efficient way possible to do things model, which I love because it's just, you why waste time and money when you can just maximize what with the resources that you have. And I feel like you guys have really locked into that and kind of doubled down on that and made that like kind of, your main thing that you have that you're running your logistics platform on. 
Another point that was pretty relevant in our success was the COVID period itself. That when COVID was becoming a problem in Asia before it really became a problem in the States, we kind of bet on that it was going to be transmissible by air. And we invested early on in bipolar air ionization throughout the warehouse. So this is ions that are literally streamed out in the air and they attach the viruses and bacteria in midair and break them up in, a min in minutes and built negative air pressure systems, um, revised air conditioning to empty the air out of every room every seven minutes, special filtration, basically betting on what could be a contagion early on. Yes, we spent a fair amount of money doing it, but it enabled us to attract temporary workforce staff because we have very high peak seasons where others could not because of the fear that people had of working closely in a warehousing environment. And we could say we have technology that's proven to work and we ourselves are not afraid to be on the floor with you, the leadership. And in fact, it's safer than at home because I don't have that level of investment in my own house that we have here. And even down to toilet seat covers so that there are no toilet seat plumes. We installed you know, single serving food, toilet seat covers. So taking those precautionary measures enabled us to have access to the best labor pool in the region because no one else had done it. That is kind of like literally just betting on yourself and being like, no, no, we got this. Like, just, we like, just trust us. We got it. Cause I know if, if I have the option between someone that has invested so much in a safe resource and a safe and work environment for me versus someone that, you know, will just pay me, I'm probably going to go with the safer work environment that will also pay me. So, you know, I like that. I, th I think that that was probably a very, very, very intelligent thing that you guys did so early on to see that, recognize that and know that this is going to be a problem that we're going to have to deal with before it is a problem that you have to deal with. There was palpable fear that we could tell. And just by the leadership being on the floor, a lot of the time, people knew, A, we made the investment, B, we ourselves are comfortable being here with you. It isn't that we're afraid of the environment ourselves. And that just made a lot of difference. It's kind of that, you know, your actions speak louder than your words do kind of thing. So it wouldn't be a true retail day. It wouldn't be a true retail day of Global Supply Chain Week um, if we didn't ask you yourself, what is your most favorite or your most necessary retail purchase that you've made over the last year? There's a huge difference between my wife and I. For me, I like great food and caviar. So I will occasionally order caviar on the internet or food that I can't find. And she's into furniture. So she likes the big stuff. I like the consumable stuff. So it's a polarity in the house. And then we also like services like travel. So for us, it's uh, getting these little small, occasional expensive shipments of very interesting food or the furniture she buys every now and then. So those are two of our favorites. You kind of have to have the furniture to sit on to eat the food. Cause I feel like you can't really like stand over the sink like you, like you would with like a, like a sub sandwich and like eat fancy caviar over the sink out of the dish. I feel like that's just not, that's not the best way to enjoy it. <laughs> um, so if anyone wants to reach out to you after the summit, uh, where can they find you? They can find me at julian.vanerlock at fabfitfun. Awesome. You guys heard it here first. Uh, I think this is a great way. Thank you so much for kicking off Retail Day uh, here at the Global Supply Chain Week. It has been fantastic, and I am very happy that you were able to join us for it. So am I, Mary. And just one parting comment, which is um, many companies, because of Apple allowing its users to opt out of tracking on the iPhone, and companies like Facebook have been hurt 
and companies depending on Facebook for digital ads have been hurt also. And the digital ad market is really three main venues that control it. It's Amazon, which is gaining share, Meta, which is Facebook and Google. We think the carriers themselves are going to be the next platform, meaning the FedExes and UPSs of the world, which if they built rich recipient demographics, like for each of us, now they could serve digital ads, which could help us find customers because they know almost as much as Amazon does if they got the data and pulled it all together. So we think in the future, that's going to be a major new digital ad serving platform. I kind of like that. That would be, that would definitely be different. And I think there's, like you said, I think there's a big market for it. It's just a matter of aggregating all that data and, you know, finding a way to utilize it in an effective and efficient way. And I mean, who doesn't love some sponsorship data that people can throw at it or targeted ads, you know, targeted ads are everywhere. Yes, and some of us shippers could tell them what's in the package. So now FedEx or UPS could have a hugely targeted advertising network if they wanted to build it. So just to pitch out there that I'd like to see them do that because then we, a lot of us companies, could use that to find customers. You heard it here, folks. UPS, FedEx, please build this platform because um, personally, I, I also, I'm not completely against targeted ads because sometimes it tells me something that I need that I didn't know existed. And I'm like, oh, this is actually something that this is a product that I've been looking for for a while, um, but I just did not know it existed. But thanks to, you know, the internet knowing everything and all the algorithms, it, it just, it found its way to me. It truly is a good time. Looking forward to it. Mary, thank you so much for having me. Anytime. That about does it for our keynote this morning. We're going to toss it back to the studio. There's a ton more content coming up for our retail day of Global Supply Chain Week. If you're not active in the live chat, make sure to pop in and say hi. If you haven't registered yet, no no sweat. There's still time to head over to events.freightwaves.com and get signed up. You do not want to miss these daily door prizes. Don't go anywhere. The day is just getting started. <laughs>